Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He lays Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Today, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 7 of The Mandalorian, titled The Reckoning, and Season 2, Episode 12 of The Resistance, titled Missing Agent. Uh, we're back from the holidays, and boy, I feel like we, like, not that we were ahead to begin with, but it has been a busy time. It's been very busy. My There's goodness. so much Star Wars out. You take, like, two and a half weeks off, and you're, like, feel like you're six episodes behind on star wars i know TV. it's exciting but it's I, I, it's a lot it's are, are sure only six <laughs> it's might might be more <laughs> than more that. well it feels like more but i i kind of agree with william it feels like you're only six episodes behind instead of being yeah. weighted on your shoulder being we're that far behind but further yeah but like but. It's, it's been an exciting time and we had we've got resistance still going on mandalorian is has just finished and we'll be reviewing the last two episodes this week and next week on on the podcast um we had the rise of Skywalker come out, yeah, uh, and we talked about it in depth, and uh, we've seen uh, a number of times. It's a, it's a great time to be a Star Wars fan. It really is. There's a lot going on. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on, and a lot going on for this year too. Because look, we've got Mandalorian season two that's going to be reviewing, uh, fall, uh, debuting the fall of 2020. That's something yeah. to look forward to. Do you think because it's going to be the fall of 2020 when Celebration comes up in August, we might see some teaser stuff then? Oh, certainly. Without a doubt. I think it's going to be heavily, heavy, heavy Mandalorian when we get there. Yeah. I mean, g- given the popularity this year uh, you know, with the, with the Mandalorian, like there were people that never watch Star Wars or get into Star Wars, let alone the TV series, mm-hmm. who were thrilled about this show and, and, and watching it. So, like... Yeah, I, I think The Mandalorian took off probably even bigger than Lucasfilm. I think they hoped it would do well, but it's probably even surpassed their expectations. Yeah, and I think it surprised them big without time. Without a doubt. And I think we'll see them lean into a lot more about, uh, a, lot, a lot more of The Mandalorian. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really exciting to see. It's nice that we're getting season two. We knew it was already in production, but it will officially come out in fall 2020. Sometimes prestige shows do it every other year thing, so it's good that they are uh, uh, keeping the, the yearly trend It'll be interesting to see yeah. they premiere earlier now, given that one, there's resistance is going to be over, and two, um, they won't have to wait for the Disney Plus launch date. So maybe we'll actually get it before uh, the holidays instead of like all the way through November, December. Yeah, I hope so. That would be nice. Because get it before I mean, it the was, holidays. It was cool and it was fun to see it with family and stuff, but man, it was also hard with all everything else going on, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and every, all the holidays and like New Year's and trying to like, cover everything. It's 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 yeah. fun, but it's a lot, and of course, you know, a well, little movie, and <laughs> and it, it's also a lot if you want to try and see it with your family because you have to wait for your family to sit down and watch it. And there's yeah. cases in which I wanted to watch it because I wanted to watch it and not have questions every once in a while. It's like just watch the episode, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but they're they're great. They're really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Also, uh, in other huge news because uh, ju- oh, just just when you think uh you know we're gonna get a little time off from star Wars television no 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 get ready because the clone wars is finally coming back on february 17th i am so excited this this like it's, uh, 
This is how we got our start. This is this is our first TV show that we reviewed in a long time ago. It, it, was, it makes oh. you want to just for one episode retitle us We Talk Clones just for one I, episode. I, I just feel to like we throw it back. I feel like we have to do the classic intro when it starts. I think right? we should. Oh, just, I think we should. Just oh, for yeah. old time's sake. Oh yeah, like it's gonna be. Yeah. I can't wait. So the the, February, the the date was released in a new video from Disney. Um, they're showing off a bunch of stuff that's coming up, and uh, they did announce that's February seventeenth. Interestingly, it's a Monday, not the usual Friday when uh, Disney Plus typically drops new content. So. I don't know if that's a one-off release, kind of like The Mandalorian, or if they will stick to a Monday release schedule. Um, but very, Are they very... doing this one episode at a time, or they're just going to throw it all out there? I suspect they'll do one episode at a time. Okay, I hope so. Which, again, like I think is one of the best things that The Mandalorian did, is it, it re-energized people for Star Wars and and got people excited about Star Wars and Disney Plus over an eight-week period. If you compare it to other pretty big shows that dropped um uh you know e- e- this this fall right there was like um i think netflix dropped the witcher um which is a, a based on like a series of books and games and stuff that's uh that's fairly popular. also fantastic by the way yeah, i haven't seen it but I, I heard it was good um the uh they dropped it all in, in one day as they typically do and you saw a lot of conversation, but it, it died out very quickly. Like people are not really talking about it as much anymore. Uh, with the Mandalorian, I saw the popularity grow constantly every single week. Where initially it was kind of this like kind of still a niche show. Uh, by the second, third week, like I had people at work coming up to me and being like, "Have you seen this Mandalorian thing? Tell me what 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 is this about? I'm really excited." Or like, "Oh my gosh, William, I've heard you talk about the Mandalorian. I want to go see this now." And they come back a week later. I love it. I can't wait for the next episode. And everyone's speculating and. Um, and uh, eagerly waiting, and like we see the, the the baby Yoda memes everywhere. Oh God, uh, you want to talk about a character that totally caught the Walt Disney Company off guard? <laughs> yeah. That is one character I think that that they had no idea was going to blow up the internet. No, but like if they figuratively that, speaking, if they had done that in in one day, if they had released all the episodes of the Mandalorian on the same day. I don't think they would have seen the same level no. of excitement um, across the board. And, and and just the fact that we could speculate every week and be like, what, what do we think is going to happen next? And there's none of this wondering like, oh, wait, hold on. You've only seen the first two episodes. I'm on episode nine. I mean, or yeah. not episode nine, but you get the idea. Uh, um, so yeah, well, from a podcasting perspective, it's nice to, I mean, we talked about how busy it's been, but if it had all dropped at once, I'd, I don't even know uh, how we would have done yeah, that. Yeah, that would be hard. That would be yeah. hard to take all those and try and review them. We, we would personally have to take them week to week. We couldn't do it like all in one day. Yeah. So I suspect that's what the lead of the Clone Wars. I don't know if you guys think differently, but that's my theory. I suspect so. Mainly like yeah. the biggest, because I was even having this uh, discussion over Christmas after kind of the last episode of Mandalorian was out. And I was like, oh, well, what's, What's actually here for, you know, uh, Disney? Like, what's on Disney Plus now that The Mandalorian's done? Mm-hmm. There's, like, none of the Marvel shows are coming out particularly soon. And it was kind of like, a, yeah, maybe maybe it is going to be, a, like, maybe we, like, drop it for a little bit and pick it back up later. But no, never mind. It's, like, we actually do have a show now that is worth watching. And I suspect they'll want to keep uh, and ride that as long as they can, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be new content that's going to drop sporadically. But... You know, think of it as a brand new service. Look how long Netflix has been doing their service. 
Amazon's been doing theirs. Apple, you know, Apple's got Apple Plus, which it looks like they've got theirs, but how they drop theirs, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's it's all just feeling everything out. I'm I'm sure there's got to be some new content coming. This this is Disney. You think Disney's not going to have anything coming down the pike? Oh, I I I'm sure they will. Uh and, and they got to keep users excited. So, uh I yeah, I think it makes sense to basically have you know, 2 weeks off and then pick right up with yeah. uh, uh with yeah. the return of the clone wars yeah. um really really brilliant strategy there and who knows what the next big series will be after that or what they plan to plan to drop but it's interesting tom you mentioned netflix because i i saw a report recently that i think um that uh disney plus is already like obviously it's it's part of a massive company uh, mm-hmm. unlike netflix which you know they they, they operate independently they don't really have as many other businesses as as disney but um the disney plus division i guess the, the property is already worth about all nearly 70 percent of netflix's worth wow um, according to some estimates uh which is crazy crazy yeah. amounts uh cra- crazy valuation just shows like disney was on the right track with this there's all that legacy content and you look at it there's a lot of people out there that want to see it and since the way the I guess the way Disney does their I don't know whenever they do their release schedule, it's got people wanting some of that stuff that hasn't been seen in a while. I can see it, I can see it, and as long as you supply new content, I can see it sticking for a while. Oh yeah, it's, it's yeah. gonna be very successful. So, and I'm sure with with Star Wars, we already know that they got the Casting Andor series that's going to be coming out. You know that Obi Wan's going to be coming out. Very limited. You know, six episodes and that's it, which I think for that is going to be very appropriate for Obi-Wan. It doesn't need to be longer than that. I'm pretty sure there's other stuff there's got to be in the pipeline. They're not going to let. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they're, they're and, not going to let this property just be the way it is. And I'll say, you know, and I'll carefully segue us into uh, the episode rundown. Well, thank you, sir. But I feel very confident that we're going to love the Obi-Wan series. Like Deborah oh. Chow has proven herself multiple times, including in tonight's episode, that she's she can handle this. She is without a doubt. I think, yeah, I I think, um, I didn't really know much about her before, uh, before the Mandalorian and boy, am I Mm -hmm. impressed. Um, I was like, I think everything she's done so far, I mean, admittedly it's just two episodes, but has been rock solid. Some of my favorites. And so, yeah. And, And you would think both of these episodes, they're very, very intense. Both of them. It's season. It's episode three, and now this episode seven. Very intense episodes. She handled it very well. Yeah. Yep. Which we get into the rundown of William. Do you want to take the rundown of this one? Yeah. So I mean, this uh, this week we're going to be talking about the Mandalorian chapter seven, the reckoning. It's going to be directed by Deborah Chow, as we were just saying, and written by none other than John Favreau himself, the executive producer. And in this episode, an old rival extends an invitation for the Mandalorian to make peace. So Mm -hmm. right off the bat, I mean, looking at the summary, it, okay, maybe interesting. I don't know. But, you know, you didn't really know. Like, I read some of the summaries beforehand. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, But they kind of, they do, I, I love how they actually downplay a lot of what actually happens in the episode. Because right mm-hmm. off the bat, Grief Karga alive and well, as we saw at the end of uh, chapter three, calls up the Mandalorian and says, hey, if you come back to Navarro and help me get rid of the client, 
I will, um, I'll clear your name because apparently the client is now causing trouble. That imperial remnant is now kind of encroaching on Grief's territory, and and he's like, you know what? Maybe maybe you were right, and uh, if you come back and and use the child as bait, uh, we'll. I'll, I'll clear your name and, and, and everything. And it's, it's actually really cool to see all of the characters start to come together in this episode. Mm-hmm. This, this, this episode brings together everything the show has been building up over the last six episodes prior. And yeah. that's one and thing right now I'm really enjoying about this because in the last episode, you saw the, the glimpse of grief cargo, the message that you were going to see at the beginning of this episode, but it was nice to go back and bring back Cara Dune. It was nice to bring back Quill. It was nice to bring these characters back. And I think that's what makes the show work. It's not this really extended 22 minute episode, uh, 22 episode long series. It has a finite, here's your beginning. Here's your end. Let's tell the story. Let's keep it compact. Cause it really wasn't a bunch of characters even though there were some big characters but there's not ones that you could get lost with but they pick the right moments to bring these characters in mm-hmm. and wrap up a really solid series yeah i mean we, we got we got the return of um of cara dune from chapter four uh we got the return of quill from chapters one two and three we got... I, was, I was surprised to see him back in the show like he already really? had i well because when we looked at all the other cam, uh, like people who had been in the show, you know, Cardoon had one episode. Um, I guess you know Quill had two, so I kind of assumed like Cardoon coming back in made sense. There were still some mm-hmm. shots uh, from other trailers that we hadn't seen yet. Um, I wasn't expecting Quill to come back. I, you know, I figured he'd he had it already been a third of the season. Is it a third now? Sorry, a fourth of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure we'd see him again, but it was a nice surprise. I was so glad because I have to say Quill is one of my favorite characters in the show. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Quill and uh, and uh, I like Grief Karga a lot, but Quill and the client are probably my two favorites, followed by Grief Karga. Uh, I just think they're all just so 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 well done. Oh yeah. Um, the, the the way the way the client the the actor who played the client was just outstanding. Oh, yes. it, I think it, it's it wasn't the kind of character you would expect within star wars but how he just played it so even in his dialogue and just it it felt natural within the star wars universe how the actor portrayed i sorry i forgot the gentleman's name but he just portrayed the client so well yeah pardon werner herzog werner herzog every line he says is just gold is gold Gold. and it's it's gold and it's not like it's he's like um, overplaying it either like it, it, it makes sense in the mm-hmm. in the context of the show but it's like perfect right. like you know can I offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative like great great line mm-hmm. you know or and, I would and, like to see the baby which everyone of course is you know actually saying <laughs> as, right. as and well that's, and, and that's the scary thing about it because how Warner Herzog played it it could have been done campy it could have mm-hmm. been overstated it could have been understated how he did it was just perfect for the character. Yeah, it, it really. He is really awesome. did bring that like uh, imperial. Uh, I almost want to say royalty, but it's not quite the right word. Yes, well, imperial I, arrogance I know to, to the at. role. Yes. You know, like the the. I, and I forget who. Uh, I think it's in episode one or two where they talk about. You know, they describe him as oh, he's the clearly an ex-imperial who's used to having things. You know, done his way. Mm-hmm. Um. 
has not quite adjusted to the Empire's defeat. Like that, it describes him to a T. Yeah, and right. and, and I, I think it, um, I think it's telling that the best characters in the Mandalorian are all the ones that basically returned in this episode, because um, there are a number of other side characters uh, in you know four episodes four, five, and six, and they were okay. Um, They're passable, but they I, I didn't. I didn't really latch onto them very well. And sure enough, all the ones I actually latched onto were all brought together in this episode. And it just shows yep. like when they spend the time on those characters, because some, some of them even had still had very small parts. When they spend the time on the characters, the Mandalorian creates some fantastic, uh, uh, you know, uh, characters. I just, mm-hmm. I hope, I hope in season two that they spend a bit more time on the, maybe the, the tertiary characters. As well. uh, I think we will. Season yeah. one very much to me has this um like Tom said, there's a very intentional act of we're gonna do three episodes, establish our main characters, deal with kind of set up the the main plot point. We'll do three like calm episodes of the week mm-hmm. effectively of a little bit of killing time while we wait to kind of get back to the main story, but also build out, you know, the main characters, introduce some secondary characters that we think might be interesting and so on. And then, you know come back in, jump straight into, you know, episode seven and then episode eight, finish off the right. story and then leave it, uh, so, uh leave it place uh, somewhere to go. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in this episode is, is, while you could almost call it like a greatest hits of all the characters, it, it works so beautifully because mm-hmm. the Mandalorian, he does need backup. He, he, he does need someone to watch over, the child because as, as we've seen throughout the show he cannot leave the child alone because yeah. that, that little guy will just walk right off follow him anywhere um and and we actually even get him um some some in this episode and more in in the next episode to talk about next week but um we get him dealing with the the his fear of droids which is brought up multiple times throughout the season yeah uh, and and he's finally put brought face to face with IG eleven, and uh, and he he has this fantastic conversation with Quill about uh, droids and um, their like programming, right? Programming versus nature. Like, can can a droid who is program you know whose nature is to kill or program initial program was to kill? Can they can they ever overcome that? Um, and you know the Mandalorian still has that fear and Quill basically has to force him like, Hey, if he, he's coming and if you trust me, you better trust him type of thing. Right. Right. And that was one, that was a nice thing when he picked up Quill, but I thought what was really cool is when he went to go back and see, uh, get Kara Dune. Mm-hmm. I love that little boxing match that they had within when he went to go back. What I found fascinating within that boxing match, the, the thing that was basically between her and the Zabrak, the, which the I guess, tether. Yeah, mm-hmm. that tether. Oh, that was cool. that was. It's like okay, because it even got to the point where I can understand it made sure that they didn't separate too far from one another. But there was weight to it because she actually grabbed it and was pulling him together and actually used it to wrap around the Zabak's throat. But the the part I love the most is when she's sitting there just getting beat up or just that little smile she had on her face. I think when she went for the the belt around it to mm-hmm. try and, and bring the Zabrak in, it was like you're watching this. You're going. She's enjoying this. Yeah. It was so fun to watch. You know, it was so fun to watch her play this character. And I think that's what made Cara Dune just, in my opinion, glow because 
the, the act, God, her name escapes me. Uh, Gina Carraro. Um, Gina Carraro. She enjoyed the part. And you could tell when she was doing this MMA stuff because she's a trained MMA fighter. She enjoyed it. Yeah. And I loved every minute of that well, scene. I mean, her background helps her lend some realism to the to the scene, too, which is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I will say, I especially loved the kind of conversation where they have where he's trying to hire her for the job. She's, you know, of course, not interested. Mm-hmm. And the moment he's like, well, you know, we're going after an imperial warlord. She's like, oh, I'm in. Done. That's all oh. you had to say. Let's go. Yep. Why, are, why are you being so slow? We can, we can be halfway there already. Yeah. Right. What, what I thought you were going to bring up, I thought the funniest part before that is when the two of them were talking, it was the two shot and you see the Zabrak come in and he threw his money on the table and she was just like, come again or however it was. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I loved that. That's one of those things in which you're like, was that written in the script or was that ad lib? Because that just felt so natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. The, it's, it's, it's great. And we don't see much of Sorgan. Uh, when when the Mandalorian goes, we just see the inside of the common house, really. But uh, it it does kind of help to, I feel like, bring the whole story together and make them feel like less individual episodes and more, uh, you know, a part of a part of a whole. Uh, yeah. And, and and as you said, Cardus Cardoon uh, is, I, you know, her her character is really great. I, I wasn't initially, I think, a fan of her in Chapter Four, but now like she's she's really kind of come into her own and. Uh, Really, really enjoying it. Yeah, and yeah. I think we already said this, but it makes me excited yeah, I think for this season episode two. Made her shine. Yeah, and it makes me excited for the next season, where yeah. I hope we get to see more of these kind of characters and just you know get to spend more time with them. Like they've we've proved and or we've seen now that like yeah, like we can spend more than an episode with Cara Dune or well Quill, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. or some of these other characters. Like they can do it; they do a good job with them. Yeah. Well, sadly, yeah, and it was yeah. kind of cool. No, go ahead, William. No, I was going to say, some episodes, some characters we may not get any more episodes with, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Rest in peace, Quill, uh, which is heartbreaking. We'll cover yeah, that a little but, bit. But, uh, but yeah, but be able to, re- to return to his, his, his Vapor Ranch and and, uh, and and kind of get to see him again. He, he again, was one of my favorite characters early on. Um, and so the fact that he was back just made me really really happy and we get to learn more about what happens like he talks about how his backstory as well we, mm-hmm. we learned that he was an indentured servant for the empire um and that he wasn't really a fan of it but you know he had to basically work three human lifetimes in order to pay out his clan's debt and buy his own freedom um and, and that's that's the one thing i loved about that character is he stood his ground saying when when mando went to go hire him he's like no I yeah. am not going to be that way anymore. I am putting my foot down. I, I like you mentioned, mm-hmm. I spent three of these lifetimes to get myself out of this. There is no way I'm going to do this. I'm going to stand on my own two feet. And even going so far as confronting the Mando saying, I reprogrammed IG-88. I went through all this training with him. I found his skeleton after you blew up the town. Mm-hmm. I brought him back. I retaught him, and it was very funny when he picked up that crate and dropped it on that little creature. Yeah. Oh, that was funnier than heck. I like but that retraining montage. Yeah, that was that was so well done because the narration that went along with it was so poignant and pointed out each part of the retraining. Mm-hmm. And each time they went back to the, the, didn't you guys get the sense when they went back to the IG eleven, especially when it came to the T, that something different was going to happen than him actually handing the T to the Mandalorian? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what I loved was the suspense they built up with IG-11. Each mm-hmm. time they had that opportunity, they built it up like, is he going to go against his programming that Quill did with him, or is he going to go back to his programming yep. and pull a gun and shoot everybody? Yeah, and that's the thing we 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 you know it kind of keeps this this ongoing tension throughout the throughout the episode, um, and, and 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 with also within the Mandalorian himself as he tries to struggle with this like this droid who tried to kill the child, and now that he's the, he's basically responsible for protecting the child. Uh, it's mm-hmm. such a fantastic dynamic, especially given the Mandalorian's mm-hmm. backstory, his heritage. And, yeah, yeah, and that training yeah. montage was just really, really cool. Uh, and, and you know, in in the end, Quill he decides to help not for any sort of payment because he wants to protect the child from being a slave, and it just kind of shows his his heart, just like how he repaired the Razor Crest in Chapter Three for free because you know he wants the the old ways to be gone. Um, yeah. Just, I, yeah. I love that episode. Now, so here, here's, yeah. here's the... Also, here's also the, sorry, one more interesting thing. Okay, one, one more interesting um, thing that I got a question for you guys. Yeah. Uh, we do get... Quill does throw cold water on the theory that the child is a clone uh, or a strand cast, as the Mandalorian calls it, because he actually says that... Um, he, he makes a comment about how it, the Mandalorian, or how the child looks like he came... Uh, he does not look like he came from one of the gene farms because he's too evolved and too ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, it's you no know, nice confirmation that it's you know he's not a clone and that. Clone I did not catch that. I I did yeah. I did I've watched the show twice. I did, but really didn't get into that one. Yeah, H- hilariously though, he does think uh, he does mention how uh, uh, Cardoon could be a clone uh, <laughs> because of uh, well, for whatever reason he he thinks she must look too perfect or could have been farmed from the cytocaves of Nora. I guess that's a place. So sure. Why not? Yeah. Okay. So now I got a million dollar question for you or a thousand dollar question for you. So that was not Nick Nolte as Quill. It was that sure. That sure had the look of him. It was Nick Nolte. I just, that was Nick Nolte. Yeah. Quill is played by Nick Nolte. Then then how did they, they play the size? It must've been trick photography because I always thought when when I remember the movie 48 Hours with him and Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte was a big guy. And here you've got this Ugnut that, that, you know, my name is Quill. So one thing I was surprised by is you do, he is actually larger than you expect. You can kind of tell in some of the sequences where they're like writing the blurgs and things like that. But when he was Um, standing next to Mandalorian, I swear the Mandalorian was towering over him. Oh. Yeah, they, maybe they, they must have done some kind of tricks of the light, you know, as it were, or whatever it is. Um, it could have been that whole trick to where he was further away in the scene compared to the Mandalorian like they did for, um, I think it was Elf. There is trick photography you can do. There's a way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Elf has done it. I know uh, Lord of the Rings did a lot of it for the uh, the Hobbits and things like that. And so. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach for this one. The old Disney film Darby O'Gill and the Little People did the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah they they did a good job with that. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, and and then uh, you know, so we've got our crew. We have Quill. Uh, I was about to say IG eighty eight, IG eleven, um, and uh, off we go. And and don't forget the blurgs. The blurgs had uh, to go to. And the blurgs, you never know yes. when you need blurgs. And Quill Which, has spoken. <laughs> and that's the other thing. How big is the Razor Crest? Because he had three blurgs 
inside that thing. You kind of get an idea of the space, but it it almost seemed like they were playing with it a bit because in one case I thought it was a little bit too compact. I think it was when he went to the, uh, he, he went to the, the space prison to break out the Twi'lek. It felt like it was more compact, but then with the blurgs inside, it felt a little bigger than that. So I don't know. It It felt pretty cramped to me. I, Mm-hmm. Based on what we've seen, I have a I now feel like I have a good sense of what the size and inside of that chip looks like. Okay. You got the upper level with the cockpit, ladder Correct. comes down, bathroom to the left, and then the long cargo hold, which um can hold a speeder or three blurgs, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know I'll be watching the series again, so I'll I'll look at it from a different point of view this time to to get the kind of feel you did. Yeah. No, I I, I it was really cool to see and Speaking of the 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 Razor Crest, though the 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 scene where uh, Kara and the Mandalorian are arm wrestling is that was fun, like incredible, because um, he sees them playing this game and and thinking that Kara is attacking his father, he starts to actually force choke her, uh, and thankfully they manage to stop him in time. But yeah, it's it's like a terrifying moment that just shows like this kid doesn't really understand necessarily the power he wields or mm-hmm. if he does, may not understand everything that's going on. Uh, really, really other, cool. And I think that's the other thing that that's kind of making the show work is there's really not much knowledge of the quote unquote force. Mm-hmm. There is knowledge of Jedi, but not so much what a force user or force is. Yeah, they have ideas of or concepts, but they don't really know specifics. Yeah, even as Quill says, like he, he, he recognizes, uh, he he's recognizes the power and has heard rumors of the Force, but right. he doesn't really know much about it at all. Yeah, and apparently it's he did interesting. He didn't put two and two together prior with the the Mudhorn, and now he understands. Oh, this is the. Well, and force. keep in mind with the Mudhorn, the Mandalorian's the only one who saw it, and he right. clearly oh that is wasn't true. familiar with it. Everyone else is kind of like. Because even as he describes it, it's very vague. It's very like, you know, something happened and no one's really sure what or how to describe it. Mm-hmm. Almost like the, maybe the Mando didn't believe it himself. Like, yeah. 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 Uh, so it's, I, I, the, the, the discussion there, that line of discussion kind of ends when, uh, when uh, Kara and, and Quill start to get into the, an argument about Quill's Imperial background. But, uh, it is a very interesting conversation that I'd love for them to dive into further. I mean, now that Quill's not around, you know, it, 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 we don't get his knowledge anymore. But mm-hmm. I'd love to to learn a bit more. I also like the dynamic that they set up between Kara and Quill, where you know, yeah. in theory, they should both be on the same side because uh, you know they're both good people trying to help the Mandalorian. But the fact that that uh, Quill used to be, you know, we used to work for the Empire, makes it so that Kara is very distrusting of him um, and, and sets up a, a kind of a, a nice tension between the 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 people in the, in the Mandalorian's party. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, the nice thing that broke the tension was the Mandalorian turning to Quill and saying, hey, could you kind of fix up the little floating caddy for the for, for the child? Because, you know, I need something different than what he's floating around and maybe something that could keep him contained. Which I mean, we've I thought, seen that's a challenge, so. 
Yeah. And, it's and not it, an unreasonable request by any means. It's not. And and what Quill came up with to where this little egg, which kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, has these little hatch doors that open and reveals the child inside and then can close. I did so, like how similar it was to his original cradle that we see in the kind mm-hmm. of first two episodes. That is true. It was very Can similar. Bring it up. Very similar. I do you think was it the same prop? I didn't actually look closely enough. I, w- I wonder if it really was uh, basically identical. It good may have question. Been slightly modified. Yeah. Good like, question. Quill is pretty talented turning that, you know, the 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 floating tool caddy into a a whole pram. That's pretty mm-hmm. pretty uh, impressive work. What was also impressive, and this got me, was when IG Eleven came up again, and again, this is one of those instances where the droid appears, and is he going to? Say something or kill everybody. And what does he do? He comes up and says, are you ready for second meal? <laughs> Who would have expected that coming out of a droid? Almost like it's a service so, droid. So polite. So, so polite. Yeah. And I, I love IG-11 now. That's that's pretty much the the all we get of IG-11 in, in this episode. He has a larger presence uh, next week. But um, it was... Uh, you know, I, I, I really like IG-11's character. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll leave it at Same. That. Other yeah, characters I, we like, though, Grief Karga. Um, he's one of my favorites as well. And when they finally land back on Navarro, uh, we get this great scene where there's, like a, there's a lot of tension between Grief and the Mandalorian. And, you know, in theory, they're all on the same side. But Grief has a, a couple bounty hunters, a trio of bounty hunters with him uh, to theoretically uh keep the mandalorian safe but and, and, yeah you know, and then the mandalorian shows up hit with his own backup and just a really i love the the, the tension where they're they're kind of on the same side but the standoff not. almost yeah. yeah yeah and i think it was smart for the mandalorian to bring his backup because really he did have the point somebody had to keep an eye on the child somebody had to have the mandalorian's back and then look grief carcass shows up with his own posse Yep. Um, also, I like the little details. Like, if you know, if you look closely, Grief's jacket still has the bullet hole in it from episode from chapter three. Um, oh, I did not catch that. That's yeah, a really tiny, tiny little details that are they're really neat to see. And uh, you know, or, or... I'm I'm in no way surprised, but it's exactly the type of detail I would expect to see. Yeah. Oh, or, absolutely. Or even the fact that like, um, you know, Grief calls out uh, that you know, Kara has a a, a dropper a shock trooper uh, dropper tattoo on her arm that needs to be covered you know little things like that i guess they don't really care about the starboard rubble line starboard on her cheek but oh well well you know i guess maybe it's small enough uh harder to see at a distance maybe yeah yeah probably harder to see yeah then again if you take a look at some of the stormtroopers it would probably be harder to hit yeah sorry yeah so you know, they kind of set up the tension, and 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 then the 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 group, the uneasy alliance, starts to trek across the wasteland uh, toward uh, toward the city, and this takes us to a, a, a I, what I thought was a really great scene at night as they're all sitting around the campfire, um, uh, and then eventually get uh, attacked. Uh, what did you guys? How did you guys feel about this whole sequence? First, I would go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. 
I was I, so I was a little frustrated by the sequence mainly because it it felt like they were their crack shots until they needed them not to be. Mm. Uh, you know, these big winged creatures that are swooping in at uh, you know within grabbing distance because obviously mm-hmm. they slash up Grief's arm and things like this. Um, I wish. I guess I wish we'd seen a little bit more accuracy out of them, a little bit more effectiveness almost mm-hmm. was my kind of my biggest thought. It was a neat sequence. I loved the, the lighting of it and you know, the tension you get of them swooping out of the darkness, but mm-hmm. see what I thought when it came to the scene, it literally felt like the Western where you had the cowboy sitting on the range. They're sitting there having their meal. And when it came to these, these flying beasts, okay. If they're supposed to be crack shots, I can understand, but to a certain extent, how armored are these beasts that are coming in and basically swooping in? They took a blurg. They, with their talons, I guess they had poison in their talons. They poisoned one of the blurgs. Um, they took out one of the other guys that came with Karga. So it 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 had that good, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say full horror scene feel to it, but it had the really good Western feel to it. It, it worked for me. The thing I found surprising, though, which, you know, the IG-11, the one thing we kind of skipped over Everybody went except IG-11 stayed on the Razor Crest. So it would have been interesting if IG-11 was part of this, but he'll be playing a bigger part, as William said, later. Yeah, I think uh, that's the one thing that kind of I found odd is that we don't see IG-11 at all in the rest of this episode. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was maybe a missed opportunity. I, uh, I don't think so end, because I but... think, and not to cut you off, mm-hmm. I think it set up something for me at the end of the episode huh. where I thought he was responsible for something. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll, think, of, think, think of it from that point of view. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But uh, at least during the, the, the campsite scene, you know, I, the action was, it was very dark. Um, but you know, it was, it was, it was pretty cool. And actually I think set up, honestly, I think this whole, this whole sequence was really a setup for a tie in to the rise of Skywalker. Absolutely. It um, was, it was, but I think it also they needed to do this part to kind of turn Grief Karga uh, in the Mandalorian's yes. favor. Yes, one hundred percent. Sorry, so, you, sorry, you actually are, are correct there. It's not just a tie-in; like it right. was a critical it, it, in Grief Karga's character development. Right, but but you're yeah. right. It served it basically served two purposes. One, it was the tie-in to Rise of Skywalker. But two, it felt like it was more for the bringing Grief Karga onto the side of the Mandalorian. Yeah, exactly. You know, so something that no, would go ahead. I thought was really a a fascinating experience that William and I got to have is this episode aired on Wednesday, which was one day, uh, sorry, two day, was it one day or two days? It was, it was the day after the press screenings for the rise of Skywalker. So we, so Tom and you're like in your case, yes, we, uh, something I am very grateful for. Yeah. Lucky. But so (laughs) sorry. For you, Tom, you saw The Mandalorian, and then you saw Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, and we did the reverse. We saw Rise of Skywalker, which right. prominently kind of features the healing ability. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, we, you know, the next day, we're watching, and I'm just like, oh. Something that, like, and it, the a slightly cynical part of me was like, oh, this was, it felt a little, not that I'm, I should be clear. Not that I minded in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. but something that felt a little, uh, a new element that they decided to introduce in Rise of Skywalker, which I could anticipate being kind of controversial, they introduced in a format that was far more uh, accepting, I think, 
and had a little bit more goodwill built up to it, if that and makes sense. That, yeah. And that I agree with. I think when you bring it from that perspective, I totally agree with you. And it didn't bother me in Skywalker because I think in Skywalker they did kind of explain that that it takes, let's say if you have 100 years to live, it takes like a year away to 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 do or like half a year away to heal somebody. So I I kind of got that feeling when I saw it in Skywalker. In this case, and again, it didn't bother me in this case either. Hmm. You know, it 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 didn't it but I agree with you Stephen, it worked better here in this format because I think it was the unexpected of being the child doing it right. at quote unquote that young of an age. Compared uh, to seeing a a non full Jedi Knight all of a sudden able to do it, honestly, I actually preferred seeing Ray do it to really. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know who I think is actually more powerful in the Force, I'd probably go with Ray than mm-hmm. Baby Yoda, or I should not say more powerful, but more trained. Well, that and and I agree with that, but we also when it comes to the species of the child, we don't know technically how powerful that species is in the force. Mm-hmm, we don't know, you know, on top of this, we know that technically they can be 900 years plus old. I remember okay, the, the child, he's young, but he is 50 years old. Yeah. Like, and that's the other thing in, 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 if you go like in dogs, if you look at dogs being five years compared to human, whatever it is, I mean, he's technically, he's a child, but he is 50 years old. So the other thing when it comes to the force abilities with the child is it something to where it's inherent in them to where when they get to be that age or a certain age, it, it just ends up becoming natural and it's part of that species. And you have seen him right now do certain things just on a whim, especially it's very funny in the next episode with the whole, we're not going to get to that, but he, but the very funny thing that grief card asked him to do was freaking hilarious in the next episode. But it's, it's fascinating about this and in and, and here and, and compared to Skywalker. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is very, it was, it was cool to see because in my case, I, I watched the episode of the Mandalorian at midnight when it dropped. And, and so it was like, you know, you wake up, go see star Wars, uh, ride the Skywalker and then go to sleep and, and see this new force power. And then you go to sleep and right before you go to sleep, you watch the episode of the Mandalorian and you get to see the new force power, uh, again. And it was, it, it was this nice symmetry and it's kind of a, it was a nice low stakes tie-in. I think everyone thought that, you know, oh, we're gonna get this 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 massive tie-in where they're gonna reveal that, you know, the uh, they're gonna reveal that the the child the is child, in episode nine, right? Or the child is how well, Palpatine yeah, that's what I thought survived, thought. right? There were all these theories like, is the child how Palpatine survived? Um, and it turns out, nah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah. As, as far, or, or at as least not yet. Maybe went, we'll get that later. But yeah, as a time went, I thought it worked really well. And as you pointed out, or Tom or William, one of you, because it wasn't me, uh, it does give us a nice kind of explanation for grief, tar- uh, grief, uh, grief targa, grief carga's uh, kind of turn to uh, the side of the Mandalorian and Cardoon and Quill, mm-hmm. with a uh, very nice. Betrayal as he shoots down the remaining, uh, what do you call and that's, Extra bounty and that's, hunters. And that's the other thing I loved about Karga. He even admitted it, but he goes, these fine two gentlemen, or however he put it, 
we're here to basically kill you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've changed my way. I've changed my ways. And here's a way for us to actually do this. If you help me get rid of a client, I'll make sure that the bounty on your head is erased. And then you can have pick of after your vacation, which if you go back to the first episode, here's the grief cargo telling him go on a vacation. The Mandalorian doesn't want to do it. But after all this time, you can come back and have the pick of whatever you want. If you help me get rid of grief cargo, because I'm sorry, get rid of the client. Sorry, because he's really ruining my town. That I thought was a absolutely fascinating dynamic too, where you know the we learned that one the, the shock of him killing his his own bounty hunters, um, and two the fact that like I don't know I, I <clears throat> sure I, I never fully trusted grief, but the fact that he was actually planning to betray them right there uh was kind of a, a a surprise and then the fact that he's like you know that thing that i was lying to you about before but let's actually do it now it was a nice yeah. uh, i liked it it was a nice twist uh and, and it was a bit a bit surprising uh of a of a move but also worked and it allowed them to get close to the client and he kind of he basically double crosses the client in a, yeah. in a great way uh, and of course, meanwhile, sending Quill back to the to the Razor Crest to, to hopefully, uh, in, you know, lock themselves inside by engaging the ground security protocols so that nothing can get in. The one question really, I, say, I, 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 I would love to have seen what would have happened if somebody tried to break into the Razor Crest. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll see it someday. But uh, the the one main question was, why do you think grief needed to kill? His bounty hunters. I mean, obviously, for shock value, it was a great, great moment. But don't they work for him? Uh, I'm assuming they're part of the bounty hunters guild. I um, assume he didn't trust them. Yeah. I agree. Because there's still a lot of money that the Empire is offering. Mm-hmm. At least no, that, I agree. That was kind of my my read of it. That's that's yeah, fair. yeah. I, he had to take him out. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. E- either way, I. I did enjoy seeing it, but yeah. Um, and yeah. that, that kind of brings us to the final act of the episode as they head into town, kind of pretending they settle on a plan where, you know, Cardoon will pretend to be the bounty hunter who's captured the Mandalorian. Um, I'm surprised the stormtroopers are okay with uh, him remaining armed or armored. I should say, uh, he's kind of proven how deadly that armor can be, but they did try to buy the. Uh, <laughs> to they tried to buy, buy the, the helmet, armor, which is a great the helmet, sequence. Yeah, twenty credits. I mean, come on, like seriously. Oh god, twenty credits. Yeah, twenty credits. Sure, that's hardly anything. <laughs> but uh, no, it it is a great. It's a really great moment. And and what I really like is as they're walking into town, Cara Dune, the whole time, it's like she kept looking at Grief going, how many guards are on with the client? Grief is just like always four, always four, always four. They're walking through town and, and, and Cara's like, this isn't four. And he goes back to reassure her, four around the client. But naturally, things never go the way it's expected because once they get to see the client, it's not just four. It ends up being what, six? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kara was not happy. Well, it was six around the client and and dozens around the city, which grief failed 
to mention. Oh, yeah, failed to mention. Um, yeah. Oh, minor, oh, minor details. Also, one other thing, I, I, I would still would love to get a little more detail about how these chain codes work. It sounds like chain codes are effectively an ID um, or like an SSN or something. It's almost like the impression I got from this episode. Because, like, you know, yeah. the, the Stormtrooper demands to see his chain code. Oh, that's true. I was like, huh, interesting. Yeah, uh, I I read that as chain code or as, like, a key pass to get into town, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Only they've been handed out to people that were trusted or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Very. Yeah. Very Well, we could go... But I was gonna say we can go back to the go back to the scene with uh, the client inside the bar. I thought that was like we mentioned here at the top. That was just so well done. Towards like you know trying to appease and it's like okay, well now let's get down to business. We've got the baby. Let me see the baby. And I just love that you can't. He's asleep. <laughs> yeah, we would all be quiet. <laughs> it's just I thought it was uh, some of it was a little cheesy. I thought a little uh, a little too obvious almost. Well, but I thought it was one of my favorite okay. scenes of the series. Personally, I thought it was and, so and, and good. I and I talk it up to this. You're talking a bounty hunter. How's a bounty hunter? Okay, and and also uh, a guy who's in charge of the bounty hunter guild going to pass this off as not being cheesy? Mm. Okay, how often does how often is he sitting there trying to protect basically what everybody thinks is a baby inside that thing? Yeah, true. Yeah, the um. You know, we, we get a, a little bit more of Mandalorian backstory and, and you know, he, talk, he asks why they resisted the expansion and talks about how the Empire, you know, improves everything it touches. But um, where things really kind of get kicked up a notch is when just before the client can open up the pram, he receives a call via portable hollow communicator and, and, and walks over to the bar to answer and it's Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito. It's the introduction of Moff Gideon. And um, after a very brief conversation where he Gideon basically asks if, you know, if, he, if he's sure, if the client is sure they brought the baby and that he, he, they may want to check again, he proceeds to shoot up his own, well, presumably his own, one of his own men, right? Because I think the, the client reports to Moff Gideon. And all the stormtroopers yep. inside. They just decimate mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah, and it was I, done by death troopers. That was the coolest. My thing. jaw was on the it, floor. Yeah, it was a uh, quite the scene. I loved seeing that. Just the entire bar disappear effectively. Yes. Yeah, and it's and just I, like in a in a you know a, a rain of blaster bolts. It was just a, yeah. a you know death decimated and. You know, I, I mean, there's a couple of questions, obviously. Like, how how did Moff Gideon know the child wasn't in the pram? Maybe he was keeping an eye on on things. But more importantly, why do you think Moff Gideon would kill the client and all of the stormtroopers inside? Was it because they uh, failed or something else? So uh, an interesting thing to note is, um, I why am I uh, not... Not Moff Gideon. Why am I, the client? I'm sorry. I was trying to come up with his name. I realized that's right. There is no name. <laughs> yeah, there is no name. It's just the right. client. The client. Uh, you know, he's. We kind of get the sense he's a middleman between got Gideon and uh, you know the Mandalorian and grief. Um, but even as stormtroopers, you know, they're dirtier. They're less well kept. The rest of the troops we see, especially Moff Gideon's troops, mm-hmm. they, 
they have that uh, professionalism that you expect out of the Empire, the seamless yeah. white armor. Um, I, I'm guessing just Gideon wasn't overly impressed with his underling. Yeah. And the other thing they had, which was really cool, that troop transport all the way back from the original Kenner toy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was pretty cool. I, I mainly appreciated seeing it just because we'd seen it so often in Rebels and yeah. having it show up yet again was just a nice little detail. Yeah. yeah. And uh, all of the stormtroopers in that scene were played by 501st, the 501st Legion. And That's what I like, thought was the coolest thing. Yeah. That's got to be cool. Yeah. And like, having, I'm sure having to keep that. Hey, we need you guys. Yeah. It's nice that Lucasfilm involved the fan organization, and uh, and you know it was great they were able to keep it such a secret for all this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine there were some hefty NDAs alongside. Oh that. yeah, and I'm sure you know they're just probably just standing around. They probably didn't know the details of what was going on inside the uh, inside the the common house, for example, or the the tense scene with Quill, which I think was maybe my favorite part of the episode um mm-hmm. you know as moff gideon is talking to uh to the mandalorian and 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 grief and and cara dune inside and telling him basically like you know you, know, you, you think you might know what you're in possession of but you do not um uh, we we see quill you know in this race against time heading back to the razor crest and the mandalorian accidentally tips off the speeder bike troopers by calling when he calls quill and asks you know hey are you back at the razor crest yet and that tips off the the speeder the the scout troopers and they 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 zoom off in pursuit and it's just this it's such a tense scene as you see them Mm -hmm. the the scout troopers approach quill getting closer and closer and closer and the the razor crest is off in the distance and getting closer and then you know you cut to Again, they keep cutting back to the common house and they cut back and all of a sudden the child is on the ground and gets scooped up by a stormtrooper and Quill's dead body is on the ground. It's just like, ah, oh, it's heartbreaking. Oh, that final scene hurts. That oh. final scene hurts. And that was that was the part that I didn't want to jump to sooner in our review. But <clears throat> excuse me. Um, this is where I thought I had a feeling I knew who took out Quill. Mm hmm. And that's where you kind of sit there and go. So you, th- you thought it was IG-11? Yes. Interesting. And, yeah. Well, because well, if, if you look at it from the point of view of this, okay, mm-hmm. the way they kept setting up that is IG-11 going to do this? Is IG-11 going to do that? And he always does the unexpected. Hi, would you like second meal? Hi, you want some tea? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the Mandalorian kept saying he's programmed to kill. He's not going to, he, he can't overcome his programming. He's programmed to kill. He was left on the razor crest. Okay. So the natural logical step would be IG-11 is the one that killed him. Interesting. That's, if, if you, if, cause that's the other, what if I, what if I always said, if but, you call attention to something, you better use it. In this case, that's what I thought. That is not what I picked up at all, but. No, that's, that's what I picked up. What, what were you thinking, Stephen? I, I assume the stormtroopers got him. Like they, we were establishing this kind of race against time with the, speeder bikes and quill and i thought it was pretty clear the speeder bikes won Mm -hmm. so the speeder bikes actually had a good shot this time yeah they gunned him down and that was that okay and and honestly if you think about it like it's kind of the mandalorian's fault because he you know he broke radio silence didn't think they might be listening Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah 
Like Quill no, should have called once true. he got back to the Razor Crest. Like there's nothing really the Mandalorian could have done to 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 warn him or get Quill to go faster as he was riding the Blurg. And it's it's heartbreaking too because you you see the the Razor Crest not that far away in the last shot we see of Quill right, you know racing against time and and the next thing we know he's he's dead and on the ground and it's just a very heartbreaking end to the episode. Like the episode ends on that shot of Quill. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's so brilliantly but, done. But it but sets yeah. up so nicely going into the next yeah. episode. It really does because it does pick up at that last shot. Yeah. So so good. Also, I did love Moff Gideon's Tie Fighter that has these folding wings so it can land on. That the I ground. thought was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, this this is you know this is the sets the stage is the the first half of the two parter, and uh, really as soon as I watched like I could not wait for the season finale because man it was it was good it was a long the longest rate wait we've had yet between episodes very true Wednesday yeah. or the following Friday week week and a half so but it was so worth it though it was it was. Speaking so are we which, ready for uh yeah I, ready I, for I, the uh ratings? I think, I think we are. I think uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Tom, what would you give this episode? I'm giving this one a nine. I love this. I love this episode and and you're gonna sit here and go, Well, how can you go higher than that? Well, wait till next week. Um <laughs> I no, I honestly I loved it. I thought I thought this one just hit mm. Everywhere, I think Deborah Chow just hit this one out of the ballpark. John Favreau wrote a great script. Everything was done so perfectly. I I have to give it a nine Womp Rat. And my nine Womp Rat, you see, when Quill was training IG-11, um, the, the, the crate that IG-11 kept dropping, well, he dropped it nine times, um, nine different times. And it was actually Womp Rats underneath each one of those each time. So that's what happened to my nine womp rats. Nice. So, all right. Yeah. All right. Who's next? William? Uh, yeah, let's see. I'll, I'll go ahead and give this episode. Ooh, uh, I think I'll give it nine and a half womp rats out of 10. I loved this episode. I thought Deborah Chow did a fantastic job. She's fast becoming one of my favorite directors, uh, working on star Wars. She, she is up there with Dave Filoni. You know, Dave yep. Filoni's the he's the story guy and, and trained by George Lucas and Deborah Chow has just done some uh, of the two episodes I've seen. I've been at least only two, but of the two episodes I've seen, she's done some fantastic, incredible work. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this I, I will miss Quill. I'll miss the client, uh, but this set up a lot of really great dynamics uh, and, and really laid the, the, the stage for uh for the the series season not series so the season finale um so yeah i'm gonna give my uh my nine and a half womp rats uh well they uh they were helping ig11 guard the uh the razor crest and ig11 sent them after quill but it was it was too late no ig11 tried but he failed. what are you gonna do yeah, yeah what are you gonna do all right, Steven, you're up. Uh, so I think I'm going to give this an eight and a half out of ten. Um, there were a couple of sequences that I thought dialogue was a little bit cheesy or things like that. Um, but honestly, overall, this was exactly what I wanted The Mandalorian to do after the last couple of episodes. Like, we had our awesome first three episodes that remain, I think, some of the best Star Wars television we've ever gotten. 
We had a little bit of dip when we had kind of our filler episodes and things like that that weren't bad, but not quite what I was getting, hoping for. And then this episode, we come back to the main story, we kick things up a notch, and it just leads us into a fantastic finale, which uh, we'll be reviewing next time. So I'm going to give it an eight and a half Womp Rats out of ten. And, you know, we were, Tom, we were talking about how Quill was actually killed. Uh, Mm. Was it IG-11? Was it the speeders uh, with the stormtroopers on board? Um, It was neither. Uh, Unfortunately, the Blurg, as he was running towards the ship, saw a couple of Womp Rats off to the side that looked kind of tasty. And uh, went for the went went to stop for a snack. (laughs) The Blurg tripped over another Womp Rat. There was a half of a Womp Rat, you know, that was just kind of sitting there. And just it was... Bad things happened, unfortunately. It was a really a comedy of errors, but uh, what are you going to do? So the Blurg rolled over on Curl. Yeah, it was really unfortunate. Wow. Just too bad. That's very, very sad. <sighs> nice going, Womp Rats. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, this was a great, great episode. And uh, I'm looking forward to reviewing the next the final piece next uh, next week. It's really fun. Um, so uh, th- that's not all, though. We we actually have more to discuss. Uh, we we will now be reviewing season two, episode twelve of Star Wars Resistance, titled "The Missing Agent." It was directed by Stuart Lee and written by Brandon Amon. Uh, in this episode, Kaz Yeager and Sonara trace a distressed call to a planet where a resistance agent has gone missing. Things only get worse when as a mysterious bounty hunter starts hunting them. So this this episode introduces us to the mysterious bounty hunter Axe Tagrin, played by Joe Mangianello, uh, as well as the resistance spy Norath Kev, played by David Diggs. Um, and uh, I, I liked how this episode opened with uh, Norath. And we, we see, again, this, the spy at the beginning it uh, wasn't quite, I think, as well done as the um, station to station where, you know, most of the episode was from uh, a different perspective from Tam's perspective. I liked how they did that, but they can't do it every episode. And I think this one was still pretty well done. Uh, it, it is a two-parter, one of the first two-parters we've had in a while. Uh, what did you guys think of this this episode? Uh, uh, it was okay. Yeah, I'd say I actually enjoyed it. I... Yeah. Um, I thought Axe did a fantastic job of being intimidating. Uh, you know, we had very true I, something I didn't expect to see in the resistance. We actually got a pretty cool, like hand to hand fight scene, uh, between Axe and, um, I want to say Deagle and that's not right. Yeager. <laughs> Sorry. It's a different thing entirely. Um, and, uh, Sonara. So like, I was, I'll say I was pleasantly surprised by this episode and the fact that we kind of got a cliffhanger ending, it makes like, Oh, we're actually getting into like bigger story elements that are exciting to see. Like this is the type of thing we wanted after the end of season one. And mm-hmm. it felt kind of like we got it. Yeah. It, uh, it, 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 it's getting closer to what I want. I, I still love to see more with the first order and Tam and now we like Hux's whole crisis, you know, uh, I think that would be really interesting to see, but hey, it's still, it's 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 a step in the right direction, which I'm certainly enjoying. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we they there was a I did like the dynamic that they set up here where 
Yeager and uh, and Kaz and Sonara go on this this mission to to rescue the spy, and they basically tell Captain Doza, "Hey, if we uh, if we don't if we're not back in time, just don't come for us. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, leave us behind." And of course, Kaz does his usual like, "Well, maybe like wait a little bit for us," you know, is his joking manner. But I did like how they they kind of set that up and said, "You know, you can't stay around I- forever." Actually, and we shouldn't gloss over. Like, I like that Yeager played a really prominent role in this episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> like it. I don't feel like we've really seen him other than sit on the bridge with Doza and all, yeah, almost this true. entire season. We haven't uh, even seen him fly lately, have we? I don't think so. That's true. Yeah. He kind of has been sidelined. Uh, now that you mention it, uh, but he he's kind of front and center again, which I which I really appreciate. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I appreciate that about this episode. I, you know, I felt like it's a it's a pretty straightforward episode, all things considered. It's, you know, they get the message, then they are off to go uh, off to the planets. What was the name of the planet? Uh, Vargo? Uh, Vark- Something like that. It's in the Varkaran system. Yeah, Varkana. There we go. Yeah. Or Varkana. Um, yet another desert world in the pantheon of Star Wars desert worlds. Yeah, although this one, uh, it's it's more inspired by like an old West outpost town. Again, you know, similar like Mandalorian definitely has a Western vibe as well. Um, but uh, this 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 outpost is more of the town than the than the general vibe. You know, the planet sure. aesthetics with like the you know the uh, and with like. I think the episode guide mentions that it's inspired by the old, you know, Adobe Spanish missions and stuff. I can see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then it's just kind of a, a mission to try and track down Norath, which uh, eventually leads them into the, uh, uh, the that big, awesome fight sequence with uh, Axe. And I do like how Axe is, he's pretty... Uh, Genuinely intimidating? Yeah, and it takes a lot of... Um, a lot of people to to take him down. Sonara is really the only one that can come close to besting him. She she distracts him earlier on in the episode when he confronts uh, uh, the group in Norath's uh, dwelling, or at least the place he was hiding. And mm. then she and and eventually Yeager try to hold them off later on in the episode as well. And they do a a pretty good job of it, but it you know they're all almost killed. And there's actually that nice cliffhanger where we think that. Maybe, maybe Yeager and Sonara and CB all died. You know, isn't it one of the coolest things when it comes to Sonara? You're kind of seeing a change in her to where she's not so much a, so much the pirate anymore, but mm. she's not, not saying re, well, maybe kind of going toward the resistance, but maybe uh, a resistant resistance person, but she's not so much on the pirate side anymore. You see more of her get away from them. Yeah, it's, yeah, she's, Yeah, she's willing to help, and uh, I think yeah. that's it's a nice change in her character, seeing her develop over time. She, I feel like she's one of the few characters in Resistance that's really getting that kind of uh, character development at yeah. this point. I'm, I am appreciating that with the character, because when it comes to the pirates, it seems like the pirates, especially in the next episode, one-track mind for them. But when it comes to her, it's nice to see the change. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah. she's definitely been, been growing uh, and changing quite a bit. Um and and again, the fact that she was able to she I mean she she takes a direct hit from Axe's axe, <laughs> um, and uh, and, and kind of 
manages to, to keep on fighting and, and again face him off later even when he has this his weapon kind of like extends and becomes even more more powerful uh, cb also takes a lot of damage and is is almost almost like destroyed like by the end she's unable to to, to roll around and and seems to be very badly damaged um which is and yeah, I guess even uh, even Norath takes him in, you know, injures his leg. So we really see all of our heroes like barely survive, barely escape uh, every step of the way. And I think that helps lend Axe a lot of the um, uh, the the. It makes him scarier than your average villain, which I definitely really appreciated. Um, we're also introduced to a, a new character named uh lychee uh, he's a grand and initially he seems like just he's played by fred armison and initially he seems like just a, a random uh shopkeeper until we find out that he's actually a spy or a informant on for for axe um fun fact lychee is actually named after the keeper of the holocron and friend of the show leland chi uh, at lucasfilm uh that's very cool yeah yeah and uh w- when they come back to him later i i I really enjoyed the 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 moment when you know they're they're interrogating Leechy because they they figure out that he's he must be reporting back on um uh he, he's he's a, he's a first order contact and Norath was Norath was the was tracking down uh first order the first order by tracing activities in the black market and Leechy found out and so he ratted on him and so they go and they they try to confront Leechy and. You know he's not spilling anything. And CB just gets out his appendage and starts like scraping it along the wall menacingly. Uh, and I I thought it was it was a pretty funny moment where, you know, it was not over, didn't feel that over the top, even though it kind of was, and uh, it was just pretty entertaining. I I liked how CB was you know trying to be very uh, intimidating in that moment. I, that was such a fantastic scene. I thought I, I was. I'm glad you agree. Not yeah, often, yeah. yeah, it's not often that I find myself laughing at, uh, you know, the resistance and g- genuine laughter. Yeah. Um, but like that, that shot of CB23 dragging, uh, its uh, claw down was just was really well done. I liked it. I, I hope we get more of that kind of humor. You know, where it's not like the the over the top um you know like like earlier on in the episode kaz is like kind of offended that there's you know a, a, another spy he's like i'm the i'm the spy or and then he proceeds to like trip over uh oh sorry yeah, i'm a spy i'm a master at keeping low profile and trips proceeds to trip over a box or whatever it was like that's a little over the top um uh, but when but when you know it's cb like trying to intimidate lychee like that that's the better humor i i think uh, absolutely yeah um and then uh yeah so they 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 eventually track down axe tyrant's ship and they find norath and turns out it's a extra drop and uh axe takes off in the ship and you know, for for once, uh, Kaz is able to use his talents at um, 
failing, I guess, to to bring down a <laughs> talented failing. Ship. Yeah. Sounds about right. He's uh, failing up, as they say, um, because uh, uh, you know. And, and again, I, I love it when the show at least acknowledges and makes fun of Kaz. Like I think that is the one when they're trying to play off Kaz as being serious and uh, and, and over the top when he's not. It, I don't think it works, but when he does something and Yeager, for example, is like, yeah, if there's one thing Kaz can do, it's bring down the ship or any ship for that matter. I actually, it's like, okay, I can, I can kind of appreciate the, the how, how over the top it is when even, even Yeager admits it. Yeah. It's the type of humor I can get behind. Fun. And I, so I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I, I also really appreciated how the episode ended. You know, they've, Kaz and um, oh, why am I blinking out his name? No, I want to say Norax. That's not right. Norath. I was close. I was like one syllable off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kaz and Norath are speeding away from the crash. Uh, Sonara and Yeager mis- dead, not dead. You're not really sure. And they're making the call to Doza. Hey, we need pickup. And Doza's. I love that shot where you see him looking at the hologram and then it zooms out. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, the first order is here. You see the first order shuttles begin heading down to the planet. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends. I love the cliffhanger ending and just the, I mean, you just, you don't know what's happened. What's going to happen yet. I wish we got more ha- of those because I, yeah, it's, it reminds me of the clone wars where we had a lot more kind of pieces of episodes and arcs and things like that. Like I, I like when a story is more than just, you know, right. 22 minutes. Cause resistance, right. this, this show is always, is often so standalone that I think it's the first two parter they've done all season. Uh, usually, they only do it like for like the big episodes, and this was just kind of a mid-season story that so far doesn't seem to have far-reaching consequences. And I mean, we're only six, seven episodes from the end. This is the seventh from the last episode, but um, you know, it, it it just it helps raise the stakes a little bit. And I think the fact that Axe is so intimidating helps with that even more mm-hmm. so yeah Absolutely. it was yeah, yeah. It was, i i appreciated it it was a it was a decent uh a decent way to end and i i, I like the fact that they had that cliffhanger you know um and, you know, and, and again like you see doza's realization that oh shoot we may need to leave without you. It's like, it's too late. The first orders arrived and the, the agreement we made at the beginning of the episode was as soon as the, we see the first order, we're out of here, whether you're back or not. And they're not back. They're in trouble. And even though they need backup, the first order has arrived and Doza has to make a decision. And that's where it ends. Well, he has to make a right decision based on he's, he's responsible for everybody on the platform. So yeah. he's got to make the right decision. He's got to jump. Yeah, no, that's totally accurate. So, yeah, we up for our ratings? Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll go first so. if you want. Um, okay, yeah, go I'll, ahead. Uh, that sounds good. I think I'll give this episode a 7.5 out of 10. I, I think I give it points for the for, for, for Axe Tagran. I, I kind of, even though he's like, they don't really develop his character a ton. He's kind of generic. Uh, I, I did like how we, how we learned that, you know, Axe doesn't actually care about the list of, uh, 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 the 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 information that on the data pad that that Norath uh, got. I mean, at one point, um, uh, Kaz even tries to when, when Axe confronts him the first time, Kaz tries to to bargain with the list of names on the data pad, and Axe just says, "I don't care. That's not what I'm I'm here or paid for." 
you know, he's just kind of hunting, uh, hunting the resistance. So I, I liked, I liked Axe's character. Uh, and, and he, you know, he, he doesn't really care of, even when he's dealing with like, uh, 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 um, uh with, with commander pyre right it's like eh, you know I'll, i have these characters these, these these prisoners but don't mess with me like you know so anyway i i, I really enjoyed um axe tagrin uh, overall i hope we get see more development uh, of his character in the next episode a little more about his motivations and stuff but he's he's a good start and a nice challenge and uh you know i i, I like the dynamic where they they may have to leave uh leave everyone behind and uh so yeah, I'll give it seven and a half Womp Rats out of 10. And uh, my seven and a half Womp Rats, they're all going to uh, to continue intimidating Lychee um, mm. by scraping their, their, their tails, actually, against the, uh, the wall. Poor Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Not fun. Yeah. Steven? Fun. Uh, so I think I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 Womp Rats. Um, I enjoyed the episode. I thought I did a, a solid job at what I was doing. I actually, same, like, Axe is the thing that carried the episode for me, I think. Um, I thought his design was super cool. I liked, even though he's kind of, uh, I guess he's not really defeated at the end of the episode. Um, it's alluded to, but you don't really see what happens. But I, he actually felt like a threatening villain, which is uh, something that's kind of been in short supply, I think, unfortunately, on the Resistance. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Um and uh oh man i didn't i didn't really think about what i'm gonna do with my womp rats <laughs> i guess you know there's uh we see a horrible moment you know when um c3 is being shocked and bringing down the ship and unfortunately uh womp rats you know that axe had been taking in resistance spies were also shocked by uh, c3 as well seven of them in fact that had been previously captured um, but they lived through the crash, so it's okay. So as long as they lived. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to agree with you, Stephen. I'm giving this episode a seven. What I'm appreciating about these episodes so far, at least this one, is you're seeing growth in the character Sonara. And I think that's a fun character. I, I liked her you know, when she, she was first introduced last season like to see the development and growth of the character. And I think this was a really good step for her. Um, so because of that, I am giving my seven womp rats to Sonara as pets. She's going to have oh. to make sure that they're taken care of. I'm going to make sure at least in this episode, not like the nine from the previous episode from Mandalorian, they got squished. These guys are actually going to live and they will be her pets. How kind of you. I thought I'd, I'd be nice. Just hopefully they won't tear apart her room because you know how womp rats are. Hmm. that's true yeah yep awesome well this was a this was a fun episode uh, especially mm -hmm. talking about the mandalorian like that that penultimate episode was just incredible and i cannot wait to review chapter eight with you guys next week yeah when so the looking forward to that one face to face with an unexpected enemy interesting very interesting so dun 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 so yeah, next week. yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks again as always, guys, and uh, for 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 listening. And we will be back next week with our review of The Mandalorian Chapter Eight: Redemption. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. 
For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.